This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord God, grab us up and take us to the cross. Open not only our eyes, but also our hearts and lead us to receive your love. For you demonstrate your love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We pray this in his holy and saving name. Amen. For many of us, today was uh, a somber day. As we went through our everyday normal things, it was just always on our, our minds. There was this thing, the, the life and death of Jesus has just followed us wherever we went today. But what about your neighbors, your friends, your, your coworkers? What did they think about today? What did they think of Good Friday? What do they think of Jesus? Who do they think Jesus is? It's maybe even a good question for us. Who is Jesus? We're going to watch a short video of some of our contemporaries sharing their thoughts on who is Jesus. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't feel believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend.
As I mentioned earlier, we're continuing our series dealing with my doubt, and we're going to answer that question, who is Jesus? Any number of us here worshiping online, too, can remember back that Jesus was born in this small town of Bethlehem in Judea. He was given the name Emmanuel, God with us really kind of strange. It was perplexing, the whole thing. He was born, and his his very first crib was a feeding trough. And yet, at the same time, the angels announced his birth to shepherds living outside of Bethlehem. The time of his birth, people from the east, magi from the east, come to worship him. And at the same time as that, King Herod wants to kill him. Who's Jesus? Jesus is a threat to the status quo. When Jesus was a preteen, about 12 years old, Mary and Joseph, they load up the family and they go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. After the Passover celebration is over, Mary and Joseph and the rest of their kids, they all leave, but they they leave the 12-year-old Jesus behind, all alone in the city. After they go for about a day's journey, they realize Jesus isn't with them. They go back to Jerusalem and look all over the place for him. And when they find him in the temple, they blame him. And Jesus says, well, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? It's kind of like a foreshadowing of what would happen, right? His loved ones would leave him all alone. In Jerusalem, he would be blamed for others' sins, and he would be about his father's business. Jesus is on mission. And just before he began his earthly ministry, A guy by the name of John the Baptist who was going to be a forerunner to prepare the way of the Savior. This John the Baptist guy looks out, sees Jesus, and says to everybody who can hear, everybody around him says of Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is fulfillment of prophecy. As Jesus then began his earthly ministry, he gathered up some guys to to mentor and to teach and help him carry out his ministry. In Matthew chapter 10, we run into the names of these guys. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
Maybe you saw a couple of those names were underlined. Matthew, the tax collector. In other words, he was pro-government. He worked for the Roman government at one time. The Roman government was the one who paid his salary, who who brought in his income. It was all about his well-being. And and because he worked for the Roman government and was a tax collector, he had these Roman soldiers by him. And he would also then from time to time extort his fellow countrymen and pad his pockets. Matthew was pro-Rome. Then one of the other guys was Simon the Zealot. In other words, he was anti-government. He was ready to secede from the nation in a heartbeat. Can you imagine the tweets those guys could have had? Who is Jesus? Jesus loves people from all backgrounds even divergent thoughts. As Jesus went around and carried out his ministry, he taught deep things, not just surface level things. We go to one of his most famous teachings, if not his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. And he goes on. And you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, what what Jesus was saying, it, it isn't just what a person does that makes them right or wrong. It's what they say. And it's not just what they do and what they say, but but also what they think. Jesus was letting everybody know, you may be able to hide your thoughts from others, but you can't hide your thoughts from God. He knows what's in your hearts. Jesus is a truth teller. On one of the most peculiar teachings in scripture, the Pharisees, church leaders, Somehow or another, they catch a woman in adultery. They drag her out of wherever she's at, wearing whatever she is or isn't. They drag her out, take her to Jesus, and they announce to Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be put to death. What do you say, Jesus? See, they wanted to trap him. You know what Jesus did? He kneeled down, started writing in the sand with his finger. 
The Pharisees grew more irate. What should we do? What do you think? Don't you have an opinion? Don't you have any, any good ideas for us, teacher? And finally, Jesus stood up. And in effect, he said, you're right. She should be stoned to death. They all picked up their rocks. And Jesus said, and whichever one of you is without sin, you go first. You throw the first rock. And one by one, they have to let their rocks drop to the ground with a thud. And after they all leave, it's just Jesus and this woman. And, and Jesus says to her, who of them condemned you? Shaking and, and fearful of her life, ashamed of what she had done. She says, no one, sir. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus teaches truth and grace. That was really bothersome to the church leaders. Jesus wasn't doing, the, wasn't doing the things they wanted him to do. He wasn't saying the things that he, they wanted him to say. And they despised Jesus. They finally accuse him of blasphemy. And if you go back into the Old Testament, the penalty for blasphemy is death. And their anger and their hostility and their hatred grows for Jesus. And it reaches an all new high right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The chief priests and this, you know, they, they form a meeting. They said, hey, let's, let's get together. The chin, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up, said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas said, don't you know? It's better for you if one man would die for the people. Scriptures tell us he didn't say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And so shortly after, 
Lazarus is raised from the grave. Shortly after they have this meeting of the Sanhedrin, Jesus gets arrested. They take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, because they're seeking out the death penalty. The Jewish people don't have a right for the death penalty, but the Roman government does. And so they escort Jesus to Pilate in a huff. And Pilate, this pagan governor, questions Jesus, puts him on trial right there in front of him. And you know what Pilate found out? That Jesus was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong, let alone anything deserving death. And so Pilate tries time and time again to get Jesus released, but the chief priests, The teachers of the law, they all encourage the crowd. And so before you know it, the crowd is chanting out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate knows he's innocent. But the chants keep on going, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate now is beginning to be afraid that there's going to be a riot that happens because of all these people. And so even though he knows Jesus is absolutely innocent, he hands him over to be put to death, to be crucified, even though he's innocent. And the scripture says, two rebels were crucified with him, with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And so Jesus was beaten brutalized and bloody. He was crowned and crucified. As he hung from the cross, as we read in Psalm 22, you could count all of his bones. His body was stretched out. They were out of joint. He looked pathetic. He was powerless. He looked like and was treated like a horrible criminal. And yet the innocent Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now check this out. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. When the day started, they didn't believe. Through the hours long crucifixion, they saw and they heard. They heard not only the crowd, they heard Jesus. And at the end of the day, it was crystal clear to them as to who Jesus was. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't a historical, just a historical figure. He wasn't David Copperfield. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't a liar or a lunatic. Jesus is the Son of God. And this is why that's important. If Jesus were just a, a criminal and he died on the cross, he was getting what he deserved. If Jesus was just a good man, a, a good teacher, and he, he died on the cross, he was crucified, oh my goodness, that would just be horrible It'd be tragic. And nothing would come of it. But because he is the innocent son of God, he took all of our sins. Sins of the whole world. Isaiah says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
so important that Jesus is the Son of God because only God could pay for the sins of the whole world. Only God could pay for your sins and mine. It's so important because it shows us that not only is God with us, but that God is for us. He paid for all of your sins. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. The work of salvation is complete. And because it is finished, because the work of salvation is complete, because it's finished, you and I are really just beginning to live. Let's pray. Lord God, as we trace some of your steps, as we look back on your life, None of those steps, none of the things you said, none of the things that you did, none of the things you thought, none of those things should have taken you to the cross. But you went to the cross. You came to go to the cross. You came to pay for our sins. You came so that we could live with you forever in heaven, apart from sin, apart from death, and apart from suffering. Lord God, as we look at the cross, We reflect that back onto the manger. We carry your name, God, with us. And then we see you on the cross. We clearly see that you're God for us. Lord God, hold us close in your arms of love. Keep us safe and keep us proclaiming to all people that God is for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.